ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Yes, what about what about this sound, eh? Ah, the grandfather clock was too big for the shelf, so it stood 40 years on the floor. Yes, a marvellous old machine, uh, the sound of a grand old clock ticking. People uh, can get quite emotional about that particular sound. Some people find it comforting. Other people might find it worrying because it really is ticking your life away, isn't it? Plenty of collectors love clocks that tick like that. Some people spend huge amounts of money on them. If you have a favourite timepiece on your mantle, perhaps, or a much-treasured grandfather clock that's kept time for you and your family for many, many decades, you might like to give me a call. Uh, in this first hour, we're going to take a dive into the world of what's called horology, H-O-R, horology, which is the study of timekeeping. It's a fascinating blend of science and artistry and is not just about the passage of time, of course, Horological experts, watchmakers, restorers, conservators, collectors have all got a deep appreciation of the craftsmanship, the ingenuity and the often pure art behind every tick and tock. From the elegant curves of a pocket watch to those often cumbersome grandfather clocks, the market for well-restored and bespoke new pieces is booming. There are a range of active horological societies around the country and plenty of action at auctions for clocks and watches as well. Uh, joining us tonight, we have uh, Fergus Forsyth, is a clock restorer, a collector, and the vice president of the Australian Antiquarian Horological Society. He describes himself as a restorer of antique clocks, large and small. He spent some years on a country estate in the UK learning how to restore old clocks, specifically those from the 17th to the 19th centuries. Fergus, good evening to you. Welcome to Nightlife. Good evening, Phil. Great to have you with us. Also joining us in my um, studio here is uh, Donna Thomas. Now, Donna's, I said a Kiwi, but she's also the New South Wales and South Australia branch secretary of the Watch and Clockmakers Association of Australia. She trained in New Zealand and Switzerland, of course, and now teaches a TAFE watchmaking course in Sydney. Donna, good evening to you and welcome to Nightlife. Thank you. Good evening, Phil. Fantastic to have you with us. Donna, first to you, how did you, how did you become interested in repairing watches? Uh, pure accident. I fell into the trade. Um, the watchmaker I started with uh, was looking for an apprentice and I was uh, finishing up at school and didn't know what I wanted to do. Really? I, I thought you would say my watch but my watch stopped or something like that. I, wanted to know. I banged it on the bench a few times. It wouldn't go. So <laughs> Tried to take it apart and everything went flying. <laughs> I've done that once. I have done. I did it to my brother's watch. Oops. I unscrewed the back because I was very keen to see how one worked. And then I unscrewed one tiny screw. Uh, that was the end of it. Because <laughs> it does all fall apart. <laughs> if it's under power, when you take a screw out, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble, aren't you? Yeah. Sure. And I was in a panic, you know, because I thought I've got to put it back together. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> At least I got the back back on it. <laughs> oh, yes. Did it work? No. <laughs> and I just stayed storm. <laughs> Anyway, uh, how, so you got into it, you, you became a, what, an, an apprentice in New Zealand. What, what were you repairing? Um, a lot of battery watches, a lot of glasses, even just pusher cleaning, things like that. Um, you do get into servicing and overhauling uh, mechanical watches. Um, you know, everyone's got that sentimental piece from grandma or granddad. 
Yeah, they do. They do, don't they? I mean, there's a distinction, isn't there, between what mechanical watches, which operate where you have to wind them up, or even if they self-wind, it's the, it's a similar idea, isn't Correct. it? Correct, yes. And then your your electronic watch. Yes, of course. Which watches. are very popular these days among young people in particular, the old-fashioned, you know, Casio-type <laughs> brand um, uh, digital watches. Well, they all want the ones that take messages and count your steps. <laughs> Oh, well, that's true too, yeah. That's another one. That's another type. But they, they operate on a completely different principle. Oh, um, totally, yes. Explain that. Oh, goodness. Um, well, electronics is all circuitry, um, circuit boards. Mm. Um, uh, well, if it's analogue, it's got a, a, maybe four um, wheels, uh, whereas if you're talking about a mechanical piece that's spring-driven, um, as you say, you have to actually physically wind it or your motion winds it, mm. um, and you've got a lot, lot more moving parts, yes. Mm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. How many parts are there in a, in a, in a wristwatch, mechanical oh. wristwatch? Gosh. Um, I mean, there's got to be a minimum number of parts, doesn't there? Oh, yes, minimum, you're looking... Say thirty-five parts off the top of my head. Yes, right. very minimum. I'm not holding you to this, but <laughs> but so there's a minimum of thirty-five. Oh, maximum, you're looking hundreds of pieces. Really? Yes, yes, definitely. And it depends if you want to count every little component and spring and screw, or um, you know the if you take the oscillator on its own um, or the the balance bridge. Um, if you want to take that into pieces, that's at least got six pieces to it. Mm. So. How old are mechanical watches? I mean, I know we've been keeping time since sundials were invented, maybe before yes. so sundials were invented. Oh, yes. yes. But mechanical watches, how old are they? Uh, if you're talking wristwatches, mm. um, oh, you've got some very early pieces that were made for royalty. They were commissioned um, uh, back in the 1800s, um, for sure. Mm. Um, portable timepieces, pocket watches, I mean, they go back far further. Um, yes. What, uh, Fergus, join this conversation. What, yeah. got, what got you into collecting timepieces, Fergus? Um, I, well, I, I started collecting pocket watches mm-hmm. and I was, I was working as a, as a bicycle maker actually at that time. And, uh, then I, I bought a couple that didn't work, and I uh, had access to large sort of machinery and stuff. That and and I had a, a quite a nice pocket watch which wasn't working, and I decided, well, uh, it had a balance staff missing, so I um, or broken, so I turned a new one on a large lathe, and it oh. worked sort of, uh, you know, it functioned. But um, I didn't know anything about how to do anything like that at the time. I was just basically copying what was there and uh, trying to make it work. And then um, when I finished working as a bicycle maker, I there was this course run at West Dean College in the south of England, which um, all I wanted was mechanical aptitude and an interest in horology and I uh, applied for it and they said, yes, we want you on the course. And uh, so I learned how to do it properly. And that watch is still with me. It's one of the watches that I always wear. So um, as a, it's a pocket watch. Um, so um, and I, when I learned how to make a balance staff properly, I replaced the one that I had made and um, put a much better one in its place. So. Mm. 
Yeah. So okay, you yeah. as a, you trained in clock restoration in the UK, didn't you? For yes, for, for yeah. pieces originally constructed between 1650 and 1850. Yeah, and we sometimes worked on slightly earlier stuff than that, yeah. and we did get as late as about 1700, but I'm um, sorry, 1900, but um, you know that was not something that we really did much with. Uh, so, how accurate were clocks in the 17th century? Look, it um, 17th century probably not so. They started, uh, I suppose, the accuracy was being chased. Uh, when, if you've ever read the Darva Sabell book about um, Harrison, oh, Harrison's uh, clocks, yes, yes, and yes. all the, the um, you know chronometers and or some form of timekeeping for sea travel, um, then you know they they had to be relatively accurate, and often they had a a loss rate, so they would they would accurately lose or gain time mm. and they could they could uh, you know quantify that so that they'd know how much you know a clock had lost or gained on, on the on their travel so they could do their calculations so um you know that that was the main thing and they got them fairly um fairly consistent back at, you know at that time so um because, I mean, I suppose there's an argument here, isn't it? Donna, jump in here too if you want to join this conversation, yeah. Fergus. I suppose there's an argument and that until the Industrial Revolution comes along uh, and, as you know, sea nav- well, sea navigation, I get that, Fergus. I mean, and, and as you say, Davis Sabil sets out that in her tremendous book about mm. uh, Harrison and his, and his chronometers. But because you needed an accurate clock there to, to work out longitude... Uh, accurately, because you needed to know how f- how long you'd been going. But yes. prior to that, and prior to the industrial revolution, probably probably accurate timekeeping wasn't necessarily a big priority, was it? If well, if I mean, if you look at early clocks, so there's some of the um, Salisbury Cathedral clock, which was uh, in the UK. I think that's dated around about twelve. Uh, 1200 and something you know so it's early it's made by blacksmiths it didn't have a dial on the front of it originally Mm. so it was originally used to ring bells to get people to attend mass etc for church um there's also early ones in prague as well as very early clocks, but the dials were added later. Um, So they were originally a method of, instead of having a monk watching a candle and then ringing a bell by hand, um, or he's watching an hourglass and he'd have to flip it over as long as he didn't fall asleep halfway through, then um, they'd get relatively, you know, good timekeeping. So the mechanical clock came into... Um, often help with getting people to, um, you know, religious occasions yeah. was the, the initial thing. So uh, the way I understand it, and um, you know, then things. But with start... the industrial revolution, I suppose along comes things like factories, and yeah, factories so and then... factories have starting times, and yeah. uh, so you've got to be here at you know at eight a.m. or something. So yeah, and so and and then it became travel. So one way or another for trains and, you know, 
people trying to catch a train they had to be at a certain place at a certain time so then things had to become a bit more accurate so mm. you know and i mean you were you were talking about um electronic watches and some of the electrical sort of watches and timepieces but most of most of those clocks and watches all they they use some form of oscillation i.e. early clocks were using what was called a folio which is a, basically a bar with weights on it which moved back and forth or round and round in a slightly circular motion uh, similar to a balance wheel in a watch or then pendulums and then in the case of some of the electrical ones they use tuning forks and various other things to oscillate and then they divide them down to through gearing to um, yeah. give you time so so speaking about electronic watches and, and clocks uh, and Donna jump in here too if you I remember a much loved thing when I was a kid only because it was the I didn't have a watch when I was a kid uh, but the re, the I knew when to catch the bus because I could always look at the clock on the mantelpiece. But mm. the clock on the mantelpiece was not a mechanical clock. It was I remember this. It was an electric one. It plugged into yeah. the into the two forty volt socket. I don't yeah. think you see these things anymore. But you know what? It was pretty accurate. I mean, yeah. when the seven o'clock ABC News came on, it was pretty much to the minute on that but and it never it seemed to last forever i don't know what happened to it but it's... they are still around surprisingly yes. but you will struggle to find someone who's got an electrical license to fix them so how did they um, work Donna? how did they work yeah. i've personally never worked on one they, um, um if i may butt in of course um, Fergus, yeah. they they um they work off your your electrical um power supply works at 50 um, hertz. So well, it's supposed to, supposed to, supposed to, Fergus. Yeah, but go yeah, on. and it is fairly well governed, right? At that um, frequency, so and they have motors inside them which basically rotate, regulated by the the, the um, frequency coming through from the power supply. Oh, okay. So, so that's, so that's but, how that, that's how they keep accurate time. That, that's how they keep um, keep accurate time. They they slow down a bit once they get a bit gunked up, and these days the biggest problem is with um, shorting or with with uh, the insulation starts to break down, and so they're not so serviceable. So um, and yeah, did they did they just go out of out of pop? Did they just go out of favour, Fergus? Or no, they're still they're, they're still you'll find them. You know, at, at swap meets and things like that, you'll find them all over the place. You can, I've never seen one for sale anymore. I mean, there are no new ones, are there? No. No. Um, they, well, they're still making um, units for driving slightly larger clocks. Oh, okay. That run on a similar basis. Yeah. So, yes. Anyway, uh, Donna, you work mainly with wrist, with watches. Yes, I do. Uh, rather than clocks. Is there a difference? What's the difference in a watch and a clock? I mean, your watch is portable and you wear it. Is yes. that the difference? Uh, yes, the size. Um, and uh, uh, also a, a wristwatch will have a, a balance, an oscillating balance, um, which has a to and fro action, whereas you'll have a clock, um, while some of them have a platform-style escapement, which operates on a very similar principle to a watch, a lot of them will be pendulum-based. Um, Explain or... how they work. Oh, goodness yeah, is me. It, is, it, is it easy to explain? How does it, how so is... how a watch works. So you've yeah. got a spring that's housed inside what they call a barrel. Yeah. Um, so it's 
got teeth on it, of course. Um, so the spring's the energy. The spring is the energy. And it turns, and then it, it turns something. It turns the barrel. So yeah. the spring is inside the barrel. It, if it's manual, it hooks on the end mm-hmm. and then turns the barrel, which then turns a, a sequence of wheels mm-hmm. um, to obviously get down to the ratio that you need uh, before it transfers through generally to pallets, mm-hmm. um, which then push the uh, balance um, backwards and forwards but what and keeps, keeps it, it on time. What keeps it accurate? That's the job of the balance. Um, so What's the balance? The, the balance it rocks backwards and forwards. It has a hairspring and it runs at a certain frequency as well. So frequency is used even uh, But this is a, a mechanical term. frequency. Yes, a mechanical frequency, yes. So, um, so it, the spring is making something go back and forward yes. at a certain frequency. Correct, yes. In essence. In essence, yes. And then you adjust the length of, say, the hairspring. You make it longer or shorter to make it go faster or slower. Okay. I mean, I know it's, that sounds simple. I bet you it's not for just, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's a question for you, uh, Fergus. I don't know who knows yeah. the answer to this. Someone says, loving this topic. Uh, a question I'm more intrigued about, says Ray, how did they confirm that Harrison's chronometer was indeed accurate, given that there was nothing to compare it with? Um, shall I answer that one? Yeah, if you do, or if you want. Yeah. Yeah, Donna, you um, <laughs> so originally, or if you if you are thinking about time and you go, well, you know, what's mean time? Yeah. Um, or you've got a, a solar, you've got a sundial, or... There's, there's various um, me- measures of time. So solar time is what you get from a sundial. You're not going to get a very accurate reading off that, though, are you? You can. Off a, off a heliochronometer, you can get a fairly accurate reading, but that, that isn't how they do it. And what, what happens with solar time, over the course of a year, you get a a drift either side of um, plus or minus about 15 minutes um, per, uh, you know, from from mean time, okay? But there's also a thing called sidereal time. Now, sidereal time is taken from a celestial um, view of a star, and it was it was called the first point of Aries. It's a um, a star that was lined up. And they basically have a telescope which has a, a hairline mark across the top of it. Mm-hmm. And they look through it and they watch that star go past that line and then they start timing. So, and this, this um, that, that time is not 24 hours. It's 23 hours, 50-something minutes and however many seconds. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But... It, it is a known time. So every day of the year, for all intents and purposes, that sidereal time is an accurate measure of time. Okay. So, so at the Greenwich Observatory, they have um, what are called transit telescopes, which are set up, and they were um, set up so that they could be mounted absolutely vertically, and they're very solid you know, well-made sort of bits of um, equipment, and somebody would sit there and watch through that, watch that star go as it 
was blocked out by the line on the um and that would that would that would give them a very accurate reading on that yeah that would give them a start and then they would um they would do their measurements from there so um that's the the you know how how they would do it and so to um to check a um a clock they would basically do a calculation to um, because they know what the sidereal day is length of it and so they could then calculate uh, okay. whether the clocks are running fast or slow okay donna thomas uh, is with us from the watch and clockmakers association of australia and fergus forsyth just heard speaking is from the australian antiquarian Horolo- horological society he's a clock restorer and collector you may be one yourself um chris says i feel loving the topic my wife and i were in germany some years ago and there was a clock in a museum there that dated back to the 13th century what's the oldest working clock in the world fergus that's a matter of contention. I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> there was, uh, I mean, the, the Salisbury Cathedral clock is one of the oldest ones, certainly in the UK. Yeah. Um, How old is that? That's 11th that, century. That's, 10, no, 12th century. Around about the 13th century. That's yeah. um, 1200 and something that it was made. Um, again, I can't remember the exact date on that, I'm afraid. Um, but... Uh, then also there's, as I said, there's one in Prague, which was a, is a very early one, um, which is around about the similar a similar date. Okay, but that's roughly um, about it. Sorry, the, that's roughly about it. We're not, we're not. Yeah, we're, we're not going much earlier than that. Um, yeah. Apart from, you know, things like um, some of the um, uh, Chinese had various types of clock going back some of the clip uh, clipsidra which are a water clock um they had versions of them but then also chinese timekeeping early on was also quite an interesting one in that they used to have uh they only had 12 hours in the day and they'd run six hours in the during daylight and six hours at night time and they had movable numerals on the on the dials so that they adjusted them to fit into the the days so okay. and there's actually a i think a japanese watchmaker at the moment who's been making a watch with movable numerals on it which um tells time very similar so <laughs> uh donna have, you, donna have you heard of the kinetic watch i have yes this is where an automatic watch goes to sleep but not in use, but when woken picks up the correct time. Yes, uh, if they're talking about the Seiko Kinetic, yeah. um, correct. Um, so it actually has a capacitor in it. Um, so it uh, uses an oscillator the same as a um, mecha- uh, mechanical watch, mm. except it's generating a charge to, to recharge um, a cell inside the watch instead. Seems incredible technology. <laughs> oh, it, it, there is. There really is um, some fantastic things out there. Mm. Um, the People's imagination is endless, really. Steve says, I've got a vintage 1980s Submariner Rolex. No date, which I loved a bit. Bought myself in my first year of success in my year of owning a radiology surgery in Tasmania. I'm glad you're making some cash from it, Steve. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. So Donna knows all about watches, mostly, and uh, Fergus has collected... Some ancient clocks as well. He's um, he's a 
a TikTok addict. Well, they're both TikTok addicts, I suppose. Not that watches make much of a TikTok, do they? They certainly do, yes, yes. Um, My mechanical watch makes makes a faint tick, I suppose. Do watches, if they're mechanical, have to tick? Really, they do, yes. Um, What's the tick? What's the tick? It's, it's, it's once again back to the um, balance or the, the, the oscillating balance in the, the watch actually mm. passing back and forward um, into the notch of the pallets. Um, so that, that's really the noise that you're hearing. So there's no such thing as a silent mechanical watch? I don't think so, no. They, they've tried over the years to make silent mechanical timepieces, but yeah. uh, never answer. really worked. Hmm. All right, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Let's take some calls. Uh, Danny in Painesville in Victoria. Hi, Danny. Hi, 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 Donna. Hi, James. How are you? Good. Your what? Your phone's a bit wobbly, but anybody in Victoria with a working phone at all, Danny, we we think's ahead at the moment. So go on. Yeah, I might drop out. Um, my question is for Donna with watches. Um, why do watchmakers use artificial rings? Um, and I am I mistaken that they use the same? In Rolex, isn't it? Yeah, that's an it's an interesting question actually. I don't know whether you got this, uh, Donna. You said something about artificial. Why do watchmakers use artificial rubies, jewels? In fact, you used to see this as a as a kind of point of advertising, didn't you? How many jewels there were in your watch? Uh, what what are they used for? Is it is it what a friction thing? Or it a... is friction. Yes. So basically, the pivot of the wheel hmm. sits inside a jewel. And it's also got an oil sink, so that's what holds the oil. What's the board? Why is it? What is the jewel particularly hard or something? Is it? Yes, it doesn't is wear out. Hard and smooth, right? Um, and yes, reduces the friction. The hardest thing we know is diamonds, but you don't use. You don't hear of diamonds being used. Why a ruby? Uh, they, there are some watches out there that would have diamond end stones. Yes. Right. Um, uh, but rubies are easier to use. I mean, you have to drill a little hole inside the middle of them for the pivot to go through, of course. Mm. Um, and they were all made by hand at one stage, don't forget. Um, yeah. uh, nowadays it's it's mass-produced, um, but, yes, it is all about reducing the friction, friction. and okay. creating more accuracy through reduced friction. Thank you, Danny. one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Dennis from Greenpoint. G'day, Dan. Is that – I'm on air? Yeah, you're on air, Dennis, yeah. Oh, right. Look – um, I recall several years ago when the uh, Labour Party ensured that individual mechanics operating away from service centres could get spare parts for their cars. I have three exotic watches, and my beautiful horological man in Gordon couldn't get spare parts for two of them because they are high-end brand watches. We had to go to there, and their service charge is $1,200. I do hope your society is making efforts to get the minister to say to all these high-end watchers, look, you've got to make parts available to the individual watchmakers, otherwise you guys are going to be a dying breed. There certainly is the right to repair. Um, it's been an ongoing campaign. Um, the WCA, or the Watch and Clockmakers Association, um, did write actively um, about the right to repair. Um, there is a shift in, in some brands to bring back uh, more independent watchmakers having access to spare parts. Mm. Um, but it, it, one of the right to repair things was actually about tractors and WA was a very sore point um, and getting parts for them. But it is definitely the same in the watch industry. And certainly um, some of the brands have uh, restrictions on um, supply of parts um, 
for a lot of the brands, they do consider it a um, keeping up the quality of the repair because uh, as a watchmaker, until you've had the correct training and you pass the courses, um, you're not allowed to access those parts to carry out the repair. Um, the factories want to control the standard of the repair and their reputation um, mm. for a lot of the high-end uh, brands. Mm. Um, I, I do understand the frustration right. from a consumer point of view. Sorry, Dennis. Um, there used to be a high-end watch repairer who had done a two-week course at one of these factories over in Switzerland, and he really stuffed my watch up, and I had to get it down to Melbourne, and they said, what the hell's going on? I said, well, this is who repaired it. I had to take it there. He's your guy. And they repaired the whole thing, put the balance wheel back on because the balance wheel came off and they didn't charge me a cent. So I think that's a fake thing that they're doing. Mm. Okay. All right, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Penny on the Central Coast. G'day, Penny. Oh, hello. Gee, this is interesting because my um, grandfather was a watchmaker at Parramatta. Yeah. And um, in the, well, the 1920s, but earlier as well, he went broke in the depression I gather and I've just found two beautiful old heavy fob watches that um, were in his kit and one of them is a Waltham and very large clear face and it looks like it might be made of brass or something but the other one is really ornate and it's got a very ornate fancy face on it um, gold and burnished silver by the look of it and um, it's got a sort of a little wreath of flowers. And you're um, wondering how you can get it repaired, Penny? Well, I just wanted someone to have a look at it. But it's um, it's got a key, a little key that goes with it, and the name on the key is J. Hurst Watchmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just wondered if they knew anything about, about it. And Donna, can you, re- can you repair such things? Waltham is quite a common um, watch, right. yes. Um, they're quite a common pocket watch. And your little one with the silver, the key will be um, potentially to wind the watch, potentially also to set the hands, just depending on how old it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it could uh, be only for winding, but it could also be for setting the hands as well. Um, okay. Certainly... Uh, if you took it to a watchmaker, they should be able to get some um, markings mm. from the inside of the, the watch uh, pocket watch case and help you out with that. How yes. are we going with this trade anyway, Donna? Because I mean, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about it because, you know, everyone just uses phones these days or, or to, to tell the time, don't they? I mean, I don't. I wear, I wear a, watch, a wristwatch every day, but then again, uh, well, I suppose my daughter does and she's young. Yeah, uh, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> but are you concerned? I mean, what's the status? What's the status of the trade? I mean, are you uh, getting people coming through or, or not? We are. Um, the biggest problem, I think, is um, having uh, trained professionals take on an apprentice. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of young people who want to get into the trade. Um, are there? There's, so there's demand. There is, is demand, yes. Um, and uh, there is a, a worldwide shortage of watchmakers. Um, so it's certainly not a dying industry at all. Um, there's a, a big call and big demand for skilled um, tradespeople. Okay. Uh, Ted from St Mary's. G'day, Ted. G'day, g'day. Uh, look, I've actually got two questions. The first one goes back to what you were saying earlier on about the um, uh, the earliest clocks in the cathedrals so mm. 12, 1300. Uh, my understanding was that the pendulum, uh, pendulum sort of um, timing didn't come in until um, about 1500. 
Um, so how did they they time those earlier clocks? Fergus? The, uh, the earlier clocks, as, as I was saying before, is what's called a folio or it's a virgin folio. So basically they'd have a, a large wheel with um, teeth sort of poking out from the side of the wheel and then they'd have a, a, a verge which was actually originally a word for a staff. So it runs up the front of the wheel and has two bits that poke out either side and basically the wheel pushes alternately on those those um, pallets, which is what they're normally referred to, and it has on top with a folio, which is basically a long arm with uh, normally notched along the top, and they have weights that they can move in and out to change its oscillation rate. So it just rotates back and forth um, very slowly normally on those early clocks. Um, and yeah, well, was, was the pendulum was the pendulum a big a big technological was, leap? Was there was it? no pendulum on on those clocks. No, so, but I'm just saying. I'm saying, Fergus, was the invention of the pendulum a, a big improvement or not? Uh, yes. It was. So yeah. Galileo actually, I think, was one of the sort of first people to um, uh, have some. Well, no, was it? Um, I think Huygens, uh, Dutch. Um, person in the UK, sort of back. What date was that? Or oh, um, you're testing me now. Galileo. Sorry, what, um, what what was that, Ted? I think about the same time as Galileo. Yeah, yeah. They 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 basically came up with the the idea of the pendulum, and um, you know it was noticed that a pendulum, if for a given length, would swing at a certain amplitude or certain time. So uh, you know and we we now know that a, a pendulum around about a meter long will take one second to swing across, you know, from one side to the other. Which is remarkably accurate, and that keeps the clock yeah. accurate. And, yeah, and depending on what they're made of, uh, regulates the accuracy to a certain extent. Yeah. Thank, but, you. Thank you, know, you. Another another larger clock that I look after has a four meter pendulum on it. <laughs> now that's so, now you know, we're talking. Not something you can talk, move around on your wrist. <laughs> what was your other question, yeah. Ted? Oh, Don, uh, look, what what tape does Donna teach her, and what what course does she run? Where do you teach that? I'm the assistant teacher at the moment, um, and uh, it's at Ultimo TAFE. It's the only um, watch and clock making course run. Ah, in right, right, right. Right, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I used to uh, teach just down the down down, the, down that corridor. Uh, oh, okay. fantastic! No, I've only just started yeah. um, in the last yeah, uh, eighteen yeah, so, months. So, I, I knew that I can't remember the chap's name, but we, we talked every, every trend, yeah, <laughs> talked every now and then. I, well, bet... I must drop in and say, yeah. sorry. Yeah. I was say, I must drop in sometime and say hello. And he's got a wonderful collection of bits and pieces there. Good on you. Good on you, Ted. Uh, so, Donna. Where's one of my texters here? It says, I remember being in Vietnam a few years ago and seeing a stall selling fake Rolex watches. For a few dollars more, you could even purchase a fake certificate of authenticity. <laughs> uh, are, are Rolex watches the best watches in the world? Ooh. I mean, most accurate? Um, I mean, apart from the advertising, but to I, work on them. If you... Look, they are a lovely watch to work on. I yeah. think the company is very smart in the way they've run the business. Um, uh, they are nice watches. The movements are beautiful. Um, you know, they they ran the same movement for thirty years um, right. because what because makes, it what makes well. them, what makes them so so much better than any other watch though? Because because as you've explained, they all work on the same principle. 
They do, but you get certain watches that are chronometers, and that's not just Rolex that will make a chronometer. What's that mean? Um, basically, it's consistent timekeeping, and they test them um, under all sorts of um, vibration, heat, mm. cold, positional errors, and, and check their accuracy to be a time, uh, considered a t- chronometer. Um, so there are a number of brands, not just Rolex, that actually um, have got a chronometer rating. Right. Um, so that would mean, well, I mean, how accurate does that mean? Does that mean what they, what, they wouldn't lose anything less? Than they what? have to be consistent every single day. So three seconds a day, two seconds a day, but it must be every day. Um, so they can't vary in their rate. Okay. But in t- when that's, you... when you open, the temperature as well. Yeah. When you open the back of them, though, Donna, and have a look. <laughs> have a look. Yes. <laughs> I mean, do they use different materials or are they just machined better? Or what, what's the, what, where's the quality come from? Definitely quality, um, what creates a more accurate watch is reduced friction. Right. So high-quality materials. Yeah. 1-300-800-222 is the number. We're talking clocks and watches uh, with Donna Thomas, who's, uh, the, who's the secretary of the branch of the, of the Watch and Clockmakers Association of Australia, and uh, Fergus Forsyth, who's a, uh, an, uh, an Australian Antiquarian Horological Society member and clock restorer and collected. So basically, Fergus is good on clocks and Donna's good on watches, but they're probably not bad on both, I am sure. one three hundred eight hundred triple two is the number. Back to some calls. Sharon from Horsham in Victoria. Hi, Sharon. Have you got any power on? Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm a little away from the fires. Yeah, yeah. excellent, excellent. Okay. Yeah. Um, just a quick question. I came in halfway through the conversation, so I'm sorry. I don't understand much about how clocks work. But I remember when I was a child that um, my mum bought, bought me a wristwatch and I think I went through two or three of them or, or um, and she kept taking back, them back to the jeweller saying they're not working, you know, they're, 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 um, there's a fault. But it was me and i understand that some people had trouble wearing the old watches before oh, the, yeah. quartz, the quartz watches came in is it something to do with the electricity in your body or can you explain that to me because no one else Donna, what go, what's answer. going on here well i've heard this many times some people say oh, i can't wear a watch i've heard it not necessarily from the person but perhaps something it's being exposed to mm. um certainly um there was a stage where uh, magnetic underlay blankets uh, were very popular um and oh, those yeah. sorts of things cause havoc on a on a quartz wristwatch because uh what keeps them on time and keeps them running accuracy is basically magnetism mm-hmm. um, um sorry it was before the quartz watches came in once the quartz watches came in i was fine so it was a mechanical and, watch i'm not sure i was very did you wind it up did, did you wind it up sharon poss- possibly did you wind possibly. it up <laughs> um, well, yes, I think I did religiously. I do have a vague recollection of having to wind up my wristwatch. Yes, but um, so yeah, I, it's it's a bit vague. I don't know if my mum had more light on it. She just said, you know, I couldn't wear those watches until the quartz ones came in, mm. and then they worked fine. So okay. maybe I didn't wind them up. Yeah. <laughs> that, that might have had an effect on a chair. <laughs> Uh, does anybody make wind-up watches anymore? Oh, definitely. They? Really? Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. 100%. Are they any better inherently than automatic watches that wind themselves? Uh, or is there any difference in timekeeping ability between... No, both of them can be very accurate. Um, 
uh, some people like the romance of winding their watch every day. Do the, do the Swiss make wind-up watches? They do, of yeah. course. <laughs> and the Germans. And, and, uh, and Who the makes Japanese? the best watches? The Japanese these days Ooh, or not? Yeah, that's always also a topic for contention. Um, You're uh, the person to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I hope none of my colleagues are listening. You don't, um, you don't want to get caught in the middle, I think. What do you think? What does Donna think? I definitely think, I think um, Seiko, for instance, um, no. makes some fantastic watches. So they're Japanese. Hmm. Um, German, Nomos, uh, Glashute. Um, Long and Sun, beautiful watches. Um, but then Swiss, you've also have got some wonderful watches there too. Um, you've got a lot of uh, more of the high-end manufacturers in Switzerland, mm. the independents like FP Jean, uh, Gruber Forse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, there's um, some very beautiful watches coming out of Switzerland too. Mm-hmm. Mary from Hobart. Hi, Mary. Hello, Phil, and, and your guests. I've forgotten their names. because I'm... Donna is my oh. guest and also Fergus. They're both oh, experts Fergus. in clocks and watches. Okay, well, I've got something to ask Fergus about. I have a um, an antique French clock which has been in my, well, it was in my father's family for hundreds of years, um, and I don't actually know what to do with it because it's stopped, um, right. and, it was, and it was gaining at the time. It's a it's it's very tall and it's a black it's got four pillars and it's black highly lacquered um some sort of wood i imagine and it's wood or big, marble no it's wood it's a wood um, one we have okay. yeah my dad did have some marble ones but my sister's yeah. got those and i've got this one um and it's quite tall the glass domes probably are close to three feet high i suppose Oh, right, um, yes. So it's right. got the four black pillars and it's got brass inlaid into the base and into the pillars and in, in around the top and it's got a, a pendulum yeah. um, and, and two winding holes, one for the time and one for the time um, and it's got a white, looks like enamel mm. base yeah. uh, and it's really quite beautiful but I haven't wound it for a long time because as I said it started to gain and yeah. um and I get nervous taking the dome off because I have to lift it all up almost up to the what's ceiling. Your, what, what's your question <laughs> yeah. here, Mary? My question is, what do I do? How do I find someone who can um, look at it and and maybe get it to run properly? Um, mm. And then ultimately, in this day of um, like young folk, they have sort of um, unsettled lifestyles. So, what do I do? because I'm 73. Oh, what are you going to do with it? (laughs) And I believe Paul Keating has one similar, but I don't know. Oh, you should um, sell it to him, him, Mary. Mm. Well, he's older than I am. I don't know. (laughs) He'll have to get rid of it as well. Um, I know. What do you reckon, Fergus? What's the Um, the strategy here? It's, um, I I suppose, uh, being in Tasmania, it's a little bit harder. Uh, there was a, there was actually a reasonable. Uh, it was a restorer who um, trained at the same place that I did, um, but that was some years ago. I don't know if he's still in Tasmania, um, but uh, I suppose the best place is to try and uh, look around and see um, if you can. Uh, find someone who does um, do, but it, you know, does do repairs, but it's a very, um, it's a difficult thing to advise because um, 
we don't know you know as we we don't know sort of what other people do necessarily hmm. and um there are there are some people out there who um don't have the training at all and uh, just, they, just they may be self-taught and in some cases some of them can be quite you know quite reasonable and can do a good job but it's um you know a, a little bit difficult to find them sometimes and um so i mean with our uh, with the antiquarian horological um society we we try and sort of um have people that we know that We'll do something. I tell you what, but, Fergus. If we can get your details, would yeah. we, would we be able to pass it on to Mary? And, and yeah, look, I mean, okay. we can, and we'll then we that. can see if we can we can find some contact. That's right. probably the easiest way. I think that's probably so, the best thing, Mary. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll do that, Mary. We'll we'll uh, we'll put you two together. Okay. Thank you. Good on you. Bye-bye. one 800 My texter says, my son's inherited my dad's Rolex watch. It's from the 1950s. We're too scared to wind it up. <laughs> well, they shouldn't be, should they, Donna? Well, they probably should, actually, actually because why? oil dries up okay. after time. So if it has been sitting unrepaired for a long time, um, basically it's it's a bit like turning your car on in the garage uh, after it hasn't been running oh, okay. for a certain period of time. So you should get someone to... You, you do need to get it serviced. You need at least, at the very least, you'll need the oil refreshed. But at that age, it's probably in for a little bit more than just a, a refresh yeah. of the oil. For a good quality Swiss watch like this, though, mm-hmm. in theory, do they ever wear out? Yes, they do. Really? Yes, they they do wear and tear if you're wearing them all the time, and uh, but the but the, the the mechanism wears out. They can. So if you wear them, you need to have them serviced because they need fresh oil, they need cleaning, and they need fresh lubrication. So if you're wearing a watch okay. um, for an extended period of time and it hasn't been serviced, you can start to create a lot of wear and tear. On, okay. the, on the pivots and um, even on the winding mechanism All itself. Right. So my texter, take your dad's Rolex from the 50s to, to one of Donna's um, people and get it, get it serviced. If you go to our website, um, you can actually find a local repairer. So the Watch and Clockmakers Association, um, you can find yourself a local repairer on the website. Stuart says on the text line, Phil, Rolex are brilliant at marketing, but I'd rather not show off. I'm an IWC man. Le Petit Prince Chronograph. <laughs> Bought one for my 50th birthday year before last. Probably buy another one soon. Very nice. Glad, you, well, so you're glad, glad you've got the cash, Stuart. Stuart, Stuart. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd just like to quickly say that the clocks come under the same thing of regular servicing too. So, mm. you yeah. know, it's always a good thing. Mm. Yes, no, uh, exactly. Uh one three hundred eight hundred triple two is the number. Chris from Kirribilli says, surely between the old wind-ups and the quartz watch, one keeps better time. I don't accept your guest answer. Mechanical watches can keep very accurate time, can't they? They sure can, but... But he, not, as, it, not as accurate as your iPhone. Uh, not as accurate as your iPhone and your quartz watches. Um, he is correct. A quartz watch is actually more accurate, is more than, accurate a than a mechanical watch. It always will Why be. does anyone have a mechanical watch? Just because of the beauty of it? The beauty of it, exactly, uh, yep. <laughs> the only reason I have one, a mechanical watch, is that I just I just like the idea of all that machinery yes. whirring around. Is that it? I think Do you think, think we'll so. continue to make them? I mean, if you think about what it takes to run a, a watch accurately. Mm. Um, 
it's a triumph of human ingenuity, isn't it? It is. All right, look, we um, are sadly are beaten by a thing called time, which I'm sure you're familiar <laughs> you, you guys are familiar with. Donna Thomas has been with us from the Watching Clockmakers of Australia and Fergus Forsyth, too, from the Australian uh, Horological Society. Thanks to both of you. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.